0: You feel good today, make some noise if you're feeling good. Look fantastic, by the way. What a, what a beautiful group of people here on this Sunday and so honored to have all of you in the house. I tell you this as often as I can, but one of the greatest highlights and honor of my life is to be your pastor. And so thank you so much for being with us in person today. For those of you in this room, you're at our South Metro Atlanta campus. This is our broadcast campus. And many of you know this, but we live stream all of our gatherings from this location to two additional campuses. So this morning through Livestream, we greet our Germantown, Maryland campus family. Uh, They're meeting in our office space in Clarksburg through all of this COVID pandemic challenge. And so we welcome all of you. We love you, Germantown family. And then we say hello to our online campus family. Thanks for tuning in today via online. Uh, we've got a great team uh, standing by online to help you if you've got a need or if you have a prayer request. So for those of you in the room, could you do me a favor and put your hands together? Can you welcome your Germantown campus and your online campus family? Come on, let them hear you. I love it. God bless you guys. And then uh, many of you, you know this, if you've been a part, but we've got a weekly tradition here, and I hope this never grows old to you. Um, It's our honor and privilege to be able to take just a moment and acknowledge and appreciate and to just reiterate our continued prayers for those great men and women, the incredible men and women that serve in the military, for those that are working on the front line, uh, those that are essential workers and first responders. Genuinely, we thank God for you. Thank you for every day that you serve and protect, and you risk your life to protect ours. And so, church family, of all the of the applause of appreciation that we give to a group of individuals, I think these men and women that serve us deserve the highest applause of appreciation. So, can we do that now? Come on, everybody together. Let them know you love them. i cheering you on. I'm praying for you. It's great. It's really good. Uh, I got I got a, I got a message that I want to share with you. I'm going to do that in just a moment. I believe that it is a a word of some conviction. But there are two more things that I want to do before we jump into the message. And I try not to just overwhelm you with announcements and all of that. But I would be disappointed in myself and our church family if we didn't recognize uh, this incredible holiday that's happening tomorrow as we celebrate the life and the legacy of the late, great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, one of the things, and many of you certainly know about this incredible man his faith in God, and his commitment to see the walls of segregation and racial injustices be torn down. And we've come a long way in our country. we got a long way to go, but I'm thankful that there are individuals like this that are willing to literally put their lives on the line so that at Go Church, and I can only talk about Go Church, but so that at Go Church, we can come together, red, yellow, black, white, come on somebody, and we can worship Jesus. So, I'm just thankful. I'm really thankful for his life and his legacy, and obviously I never had the privilege like maybe some of you to meet Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., but he's certainly on my list when I get to heaven of people that I want to meet. And uh, just one more thought about, about him, but then also about you. All of us are going to be a part of history. Um, when they write the history books about 2020 and 2021, you and I are going to be a part of history, but there are a few people that write history. And I'm challenging you to follow in the legacy of this incredible man to be an individual that writes history, that leaves a legacy behind. And so tomorrow, if your company or organization has given you the day off, uh, we've done that at Go Church. We've decided to close the offices. We've done that for a few years uh, to honor and to celebrate what this day means. I pray that in your time of rest and reflection, you realize how far we've come how far we have to go, but that we are blessed with the opportunity to be known as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. So I hope that that's an encouragement to you. There you go. God bless you. And then real quick, we are in the the third and final week of 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. Uh, We've called it Deeper 21. It has been an incredible journey. Many people have participated both in person and online. And there there are a few moments in the life of a pastor Uh, where you can just be exceptionally proud of your church family. And uh, I have a a pretty, pretty detailed journal of those moments that I can go back and say, man, I'm really proud of my church for this particular reason. And every time we come to 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting, it just overwhelms my heart with great appreciation for the type of church that God has entrusted Kimberly and I to pastor. We're not a perfect church. Uh, but a church that's hungry with a desire to go deeper. So this is the final week of this particular season of 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. If you're available and desiring to join with us in person at our South Metro Atlanta campus this week, beginning in the morning, Monday through Friday, 6 a.m., and then again at this location, we'll come back at 6 p.m. in Germantown at the office space, you'll meet every morning at 6 a.m. If your schedule doesn't permit, just download the app. Uh, A ton of great resources on prayer and fasting. Plus the the Go Church app will allow you to follow along with all of the great things that are happening at the church. So I'm proud of you, I'm praying for you, and I pray that every seed of prayer that you are depositing in these 21 days, that you will reap the harvest of that all year long. Um, I feel emotional, I think that's what happens when you go deeper and you pray and fast at the level that we have as a church. But I know many of you, I'm looking at many of you here, I know many of your stories in Germantown. You need a miracle. It's an impossible situation, but you serve the God of I am possible. And so I'm praying for you as you press in, that every prayer that you pray in these 21 days, that we see miracles throughout all of this year. And uh, it's going to happen. So, okay. Are you ready for the word? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. Try it one more time. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. Good. All right. We're going to jump into week number three of a series that we're doing called Start Here, Go Anywhere. Start Here, Go Anywhere. I pray that the previous two weeks have been an encouragement to you, uh, potentially a challenge to you as we've uh, talked about really what the whole idea, the big idea or the driving thought of this series is. And it comes out of this great book called Start Here, Go Anywhere. A dear friend of mine, Richie Hughes, uh, is a, on staff at mega Church, was an executive pastor at Omega Church and just felt in his heart impressed to write. This book on what it means to make good choices and how you recover from the bad ones. As a matter of fact, that's, that's the whole premise of the book. And that is the reason that we're doing this collection of conversations around this driving thought here. Richie's going to be with us in a couple of weeks, the last Sunday of this month. He's going to share more about the book. Um, there's a big part of the book about uh, his brother contracting HIV. He talks about that and the choices that were made there. If you've not yet picked up a copy of this book, you can do so. It's available on Amazon. We've got a few more books available at Next Steps at both campuses, so if you want to purchase the book, it's a great investment, like 13 bucks, a great investment into your personal life. I think if you take this book, you take the Bible, come on, and then you take this series, I really believe in my heart, and I'm not just saying this, but I feel like every sermon that is preached from this platform and every series that we do is, you know, beneficial and helpful in your faith journey, but I don't know of a better conversation to have as you end one year and you begin another year on the idea of how do we make good choices? I mean, how do we make good choices? How do we overcome the bad choices that we've made? A little little crowd participation here, everybody in this room and in Germantown as well, but how many of you would say like, I wanna make some good choices in my life? Come on, let me see your hands, hands up. Germantown too, all right, hands down. Then how many of you would say, I'm sitting by someone that continues to make bad choices. Come on, let me see your hands, hands down. Come on, people. I think all of us can connect to the idea that we want to make good choices, but sometimes life happens and we fall into the trap of making poor decisions, of making poor choices. I've said this now three Sundays in a row about the idea of making good choices and what it means to make bad choices, but at the end of the day, your life is shaped by the choices you make. I think you and I get caught up so much in the big rocks in life, the big decisions in life. You know, where am I going to move? What job am I going to take? Who am I going to marry? Yeah, I mean, you should concern yourself about making those decisions before you make those decisions, but don't underestimate the importance of every choice you make. I mean, every single choice that you make is connected to your destiny. So I would say it like this: this isn't on the screen, but for you to write down, your decisions determine your destiny. A collection of all of those choices, not just the big ones. Yeah, the big ones have big consequences, but every choice has a consequence. I mean, and I this series and today's conversation, I can get as practical as you want to go. I mean, from the choice of hitting your snooze and being late to work, to as hyper-spiritual as you feel like you need to get to. But at the end of the day, all of your success, all of your failure, Your life's journey is because of the choices that you make. The money you have or the money you don't have, the family dynamic or the family dysfunction, the status of your physical health and spiritual health. Again, all of it shapes and takes shape because of the choices that you make. Uh, That's why, and I'm not trying to be that like hyper spiritual, you know, so heavenly minded, I'm no earthly good kind of guy. But I think that we make so many choices without considering the ripple effect of the consequences. Uh, Solomon, and I'll talk a little bit more about Solomon uh, later on in this message, but he teaches us and reminds us that it can be the little foxes that spoil the whole vineyard. It's the little things, the little choices that we make that we may not think to seem that they're a big deal, but they're, they're a tremendous deal. And so all of the choices that you make, they... They shape your future, and the older I get, and we'll talk a lot more about wisdom today, but the wiser I become, the more mature I become. Come on, somebody, that's why there's so much gray in this beard, come on, you gotta get a witness. I think I'm just learning that there comes a point, and I'm talking about me, I'm not talking about you. This is a judgment-free zone, it's a judgment-free sermon. But there comes a point where I recognize that I have to stop pointing the finger of responsibility at somebody else and take ownership for the outcome of my life because of the choices that I have made. Does that make sense? And when you talk about making good choices and recovering from bad ones, I mean, at the end of the day, there are brilliant minds that you could turn to that would unpack this thought. I mean, you could talk about certain scholars and theologians and, you know, professors and all of that. But I want to share with you what Dr. Seuss says. Come on now. Here's what Dr. Seuss says, and think about this. He says, you have brains in your head. Look at somebody near you say, use it. Come on now. You got brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself in any direction you choose. Isn't that true? Now, I know that there are external factors that create challenge and difficulty in our life, but at the end of the day, you got a brain in your head. And you got feet in those shoes. Those shoes you paid a lot. You made a choice to pay a lot of money for them shoes. Come on now, and you have the power and the ability to steer yourself in any direction that you choose. Now, for those of you that have a relationship with Jesus, um, you've asked Christ to forgive you of your sins, and you said yes to a relationship with Jesus. Now you get to experience the intimacy of God the Father and God the Son, but you also get the person of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit empowers you with conviction and ability and wisdom to hopefully make better choices. Does that make sense? But at the end of the day, believer or not, you have free will. God has empowered you with free will, and you have the ability to choose And there is great power in your choices, and there is great power in the consequences thereof. Does that make sense? So we jumped into this series three weeks ago. Sometimes I'm guilty of like re-preaching stuff because I just want to make sure we got it, you know. But give me just a moment to cycle back through week one. So we jumped into this whole conversation talking about taking control of our thoughts. Paul told uh, the Church at Rome, and it's still applicable to us today. He said in Romans twelve, he said, "Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your your mind. right Solomon said that as a man thinks in himself so is he. The Bible goes on to say that you and I should take captive every single thought and at the end of the day your life is going to drastically change the moment that you recognize that you have the ability to control your thoughts now this is week one so if you miss it you go back you hear the whole thing it was magnificent (laughs) but your thoughts promote feelings and your feelings provoke actions Every choice begins with a thought, a positive thought or negative thought, and the outcome of that thought leads to an emotional response, unhealthy or healthy, which then leads you to a choice. In the moment that you begin to control your thoughts, your life is going to change. Last week, we talked about establishing core values. Core values are the guiding principles of your life. The values are the standards and the non-negotiables. These are Here's a word. These are the convictions that you live with. It is a a core value is a pre-decision. A core value is a choice before you have to make the choice. So if you desire to be a man or woman of God or a person of integrity or purity or trustworthiness or whatever your fill-in-the-blank is for your core values, and I gave you that homework assignment, you know, go home, write your own eulogy, Because from that eulogy, you'll begin to surface the core values that you want to live your life by. Now you've made a pre-choice, and those core values will empower you to make good choices and overcome the bad choices. These, These core values are the guardrails. Does that make sense? And so in each of these conversations, I've been guilty of saying, now this is the most important one. Week one, this is the most important one. Week two, this is the most important one. Well, guess what today is? It's the most important one. And so today we're gonna talk about choosing wisdom, to walk in wisdom. Now, if you wanna start making good choices, and I could continue that thought with overcoming the bad ones, it starts with wisdom. On the count of three, everybody say the word wisdom. Online in Germantown in this room, you ready? One, two, three, wisdom. Wisdom. Now, I've, I've been wrestling through in a good way what Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 27. He, he has a, a group of people. Jesus often spoke in parables, and, and that's what this is. And in Matthew 7, so if you've got your Bible, flip there. If you've got the Go Church app, you can flip there. I always try to make certain uh, Scripture references available on the screen. But look what happens in Matthew 7, beginning in verse number 24. This is Jesus talking, and he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus is not talking about Dwayne Johnson here. Come on now. He's talking about himself, the rock. Now, while Jesus Christ and I share the same initials, J.C., I am not he, okay? I am, however, been empowered and given the responsibility to be the pastor of Go Church, That means that with great preparation and with great prayer, I try to stand on this platform and hold this microphone to bring you not just my thoughts, because my thoughts aren't really important, but to bring you a message from the Lord. I really try to lean in and tap into the Holy Spirit to hear what God would want to say through me, which is a miracle in itself that God would want to use somebody like me. I told the Lord that the other day. I said, man, I am humbled that you would choose to use someone like me. And he said, well, I did use a donkey, so come on now. (laughs) To bring you a message. And so I would say, again, please don't take this out of context. I am not Jesus. But every time you hear a sermon, you then have a responsibility not just to be a hearer of that word, but a doer of that word. And Jesus says, so anybody who hears these words of mine, and you put them into practice, you immediately qualify as a wise person because you have made a decision, a choice to build your house on the rock. And I want you to see this next verse because it is a sobering reminder about the reality of life. The rain will come. Storms are going to come. And every time the rain comes, what happens? The streams rise the winds will blow, and they will beat against your house. Do you get that? Yeah. Life's going to happen. Yeah. Storms are going to come. And he says, but it will not fall because it had a firm foundation on the rock. Does that make sense? So wisdom produces a choice to build your house. Now, house can be synonymous with anything, really, that your heart would desire if, you, if you're building a family. Uh, if you're building your company, if you're building your spiritual life, you have a choice to make. You can choose to build it on the ways of God or the ways of the world. And then he says this in verse 26. He says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and makes the choice to not put them into practice, you are like a foolish man. And you have built your house or your life or your marriage or your children and parenting and so on and so forth. You have built that on sand. Now listen to me. The storm's still going to come. The winds are going to blow. The rain's going to come down. The streams will rise. It's going to beat against that family, against that business, against that home, and all of that. And it will fall with a great crash. Now, I want you to notice something. And this is important about what Jesus is saying to those that are listening. And it's important for you as well. Most of the poor choices that we make, most of the bad decisions that we make in life have nothing to do with a lack of knowledge. Both of these builders heard the word of the Lord. It had nothing to do with knowledge and ignorance. It had everything to do with obedience and disobedience. And I would say the same is true for you and I. We know the decision that we need to make. It's not a lack of knowledge, but knowledge is not wisdom, Now, they're harmonious with one another. They're they're in uh, marriage and relationship with one another. But knowledge and wisdom are not the same thing. Uh, This isn't on the screen, but I'd love for you to consider this thought. Knowledge is understanding that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting that in a fruit salad. (laughs) Somebody say amen to that. Big difference between knowledge and wisdom. Let's go back to Solomon. I've talked about him a number of times. Why? Because the Bible tells us that Solomon is the wisest man who ever lived. And I'm going to show you one verse that if you, if you stopped listening to everything that I ever said again, uh, if you stopped ever reading the Bible, which I don't encourage either of those, come on, but you adopted this one verse, your life would change immediately. Solomon says this. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, try it again, the beginning of, okay, now this is where the message begins to shift with a little bit more conviction, and not just conviction for you, but great conviction for me. I do not believe, and I'm just going to lump all of us together, not single any one of us out, but I do not believe that we genuinely have a holy, reverent fear of God. This is why I say, you adopt this one verse and you begin to walk in, not a legalistic fear, okay? Not an unhealthy fear. God is not looking to just punish his children. It's the opposite. God loved you enough that he sacrificed his own son. That was a choice he made because of his love for you. But if we filtered every choice from the smallest, most you know, minimal choice to the biggest one with the filter of the fear of God, man, we would then begin to reevaluate the choice that we're about to make. Does that make sense? He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The brother of Jesus, James, jumps into the same conversation about wisdom. And here's what he says. If any of you lacks wisdom, and again, you don't have to raise your hand, I'm gonna raise mine. I'll raise both of them for me and you. Come on. He says, if there's ever a time that you lack wisdom, all you have to do is ask God. And God will give you wisdom generously and graciously without finding any fault. It will be given to you. Now, maybe you're in this room or maybe you're in Germantown or maybe you're listening online. And let me preface this by saying I hope that this group of individuals are here. But you're skeptic. Uh, This whole faith thing is kind of like, I don't know. I mean, I've just given you uh, multiple verses from the Bible, and you're sitting there thinking, I I don't even know if I believe in the Bible and Jesus and God, but for whatever reason, and I am glad that you're here, I don't want to just pastor a bunch of Christians. Can anybody say amen to that? I want to pastor people that are in this faith journey, and they're skeptical. So maybe you're here and you think, okay, you're giving me all this Bible stuff. Well, here you go. Here's a Chinese philosopher, Confucius. Here's what he says about wisdom. He says, by three methods, we can learn wisdom. First, by reflection, which is noblest. Second is by imitation, which is easiest. And third, by experience, which is the bitterest. Let me see a show of hands of those of you that can recognize that this third one, by experience, has a bitter taste, right? All right, let's go back to the Bible. The Apostle Paul He writes to the church at Ephesus, and here's what he says, and and I'll kind of break this one down a, a little bit more. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Let's read this together on the count of three, the entire verse. Ready? One, two, three. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. The Greek word for careful here means to be on the lookout. So that's a little bit of instruction. Paul does not say, be carefree. Now, that's not preaching against a carefree personality. But I would say if you have that carefree spirit in you, you have to be careful how you live your life. He says, be careful. Be on the lookout. Because if you fall into a lack of wisdom there is a challenge with that. And then watch what he says in the next verse. He says, and I want you to make the most of every single, and I'm just going to use this word, decision. Make the most of every single decision because the days are evil. Now, what, what, what is the definition of evil? Well, if you grew up in the little old Baptist church that I grew up in, evil was always preached about the big three, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Come on now. But I think evil, if I'm making a definition for evil, evil is anything that is less than God's best for you. So now all of a sudden we begin to see how the days really can be evil. Oh, God help me with this. But Facebook is not like evil. But Facebook is evil. I hope that made a lot of sense. I went to college to tell you stuff just like that. It's not just the big things, the big sin, you know, the things that you could be arrested for and prosecuted for, but it's anything that culture would use. And there is an undertow, rather, undercurrent in our society that is pulling us towards the evil things. And Paul says, hey, it's not about what's right and it's not about what's wrong. It's about what is wise. And then he says this, I'll read it to you and then I'll tell you how I think he should have said it. Therefore, do not be foolish. I know that my mom watches. I, I can always say that we'll have an online campus because my mama will always be online. Come on now. So she's going to be real disappointed when I use this word. But sometimes we just make stupid choices. Amen. Foolish choices. And it's not because we didn't know. It's not a matter of knowledge and ignorance. It's a choice of obedience and disobedience i got about 15 minutes left in this message, give or take. I want to give you three questions. Um, I wish I could stand up here and tell you that. Every choice I make, I filter through these three. I'm human, okay, but I try to use these three questions as a filter or as a process of living a life of wisdom on how to make wise choices. So here they are, three questions that I believe will help you make wise choices If you give me 15 minutes, I'll get you out of here. But this could really impact your life. The first question that I would challenge you to ask in the process of making a choice is this. In light of my past experiences, what is the wisest thing for me to do? Okay, so now when you're faced with an opportunity, and it can be any choice, just go back to the last time. So again, we can go as simple and elementary as you want. So go back. The last time I overate, how was the outcome of that? (laughs) Two, here you go. The last time you drank alcohol, what happened? It's rhetorical. Don't raise your hand. Um, The last time you opened up a credit card, how'd that turn out? When I turned 18 leading up to Uh, turning 18, which seems like a lifetime ago now, I I, I began to just get credit card offers in the mail. This is not criticism towards my mother or father, but we never really talked about money. You know, they never told me about, hey, good credit could be important later on in life, so I just opened up all these cards and maxed them all out. And, you know, by the time I got to college, I had a credit score of in the 400s. Think about that. Overwhelmed in debt. Now that I'm older that credit score is doubled, and there ain't no debt. But that was a choice. So the next time that that credit card comes in the mail, or the next time, I would say ladies, but it doesn't just have to be ladies. You go to checkout, and the little cashier person's like, hey, if you open up a credit card, you get 20% off today. Well, 20% off today does not mathematically erase the 19% interest every day. Thank you for the four of you awesome. What happened the last time that uh, you went into partnership in business? In light of my past, what am I going to do now? What happened the last time you borrowed money from the bank? Or here's one. What happened the last time you loaned money to a family member and they keep coming back to you like your Wells Fargo? What happened? What happened the last time you went out with the girls? What happened the last time you went out with the fellas? I'm going to be dignified with this one. I hope you can fill in the thought. What happened the last time you texted her at 2 a.m.? Ladies, what happened the last time you responded to him at 2 a.m.? The only text from him you need to get at 2 a.m. is, I'm praying for you. Come on, ladies, help me out. <laughs> Just come over praying for you. We'll do the laying on of hands. <laughs> Some of y'all got that, right? And Let me say something, because if, if, if I linger here, I'll run out of time, and I got two more questions. This is my story, not your story. This is my conviction, not your conviction. Again, judgment free. This is my microphone, not your microphone, okay? So, so I'm going to tell you my conviction in light of my past experience. Please tell me that we're all on the same page this is the very reason that I do not drink alcohol right here. Do I have some conviction about the biblical interpretation? Let me tell you right now, drunkenness is a sin. It's a sin. That's black and white. Do I think that God is going to send you to hell because you had a glass of wine at dinner or you had a drink on a Friday night? Let me say this to you. I hope not because if it's that easy to get sent to hell, we all doomed. Come on now. (laughs) But because of this and because of my, my role, I don't, and this is just me, I'm not talking about any other pastor or any other church leader. I don't think that you should see me and Kimberly out on a Friday night having a couple of drinks. I think that God has called me to live a life above reproach. Can one person say amen to that? Okay, so this is my this is my conviction. This question is why I don't drink, because when I think about my past experience, the biggest regrets in my life. The biggest mistakes in my life. God, forgive me. The dumbest choices that I ever made were because of alcohol. So for me, I said, because of my past experience, I I will not socially drink. We don't let wine or alcohol. We don't even cook with it. Well, it cooks it all out. Good for y'all. Enjoy it. But I don't want to have a stressful day and be like, well, it cooks it out, but I ain't got time to cook. Come on, somebody. So I don't do it because JC is an idiot when he's drunk. And I, I don't have the, the ability or the strength to say no to more than one drink. So I just choose not to do it. Let me take it a step further and then I'll give you the other two questions. This very question right here is the reason that Kimberly and I share a Facebook account. Right here. Because you have to know that before I married Kimberly, all the ladies wanted some of this. Come on now. All <laughs> oh, this. this. I knew I'd make you laugh. Come on. Why are you laughing at how goofy looking I am? That ain't fair. No, because listen to me, because in the past, I know JC. I know me. And nobody knows JC better than JC, and nobody knows you better than you. It blows my mind how many counseling sessions we do with couples that, okay, I get it. You don't share Facebook. I'm not telling you to do that. But they don't. the spouse doesn't even know the password to the cell phone. Well, what, are, what are we hiding? Let me tell you this. If Kimberly doesn't know the password to my cell phone, I will never unlock my cell phone. I need her to help me remember things. Come on now. I got nothing to hide there. But in light of my past experiences, you have all the passwords you want. Because my core value, can we tie it all together, is integrity and purity. And some of you are probably thinking, man, what have you done in your marriage? Listen to me. Nothing. Because in light of my past experiences, I've created guardrails to protect the integrity and the purity of my marriage. Does that make sense? Okay. So you have to go back before you can go forward and say, with the choice that's in front of me, from small to large, let's look in the past. And now we can make a decision for the the now. Number two is this. In light of my present circumstances, what is the wise thing for me to do? So now we're not just looking back, but now we're looking at the reality of now. I like to be practical, so let's keep it there for a moment. When Kimberly and I, when we first got married, um, we were called what is known as a dink couple. Double income, no kids. D I N K. So let me tell you what we did every night. We ate out. Those were the good old days. Okay, now, in light of my present circumstances, with one income and two kids, we have to eat in a lot more. I love eating out. Eating out is like therapeutic to me. But now we gotta eat in. And we're working on the whole cooking thing. Come on, somebody. We're almost there. I figure we've been married 17 years, another 17 years. We can find one or two meals. Can I get a witness? Come on. But in light of the present circumstances, and I know it's a little funny, but listen to me. The majority of people, the reason that you're in the financial mess that you're in is because you're not looking at your present circumstances. And you keep buying a $5 cup of coffee. Do you know how much it... Never mind, Jesus. How about this? In light of my present circumstances. Some of you have some health things. I'm not... I'm not being judgmental, but you got some health stuff going on. So, I mean, look, if you got diabetes, you can't keep eating little Debbie. That's right. If you got acid reflux, I know you love Mexican, but just chill. <laughs> In light of my present circumstances, here's what's going to happen. Some of you have already experienced this. So this is just a real-time example. Um, the economy has just been wild for the last year, and so the government has sent people stimulus checks. Uh, We've been a benefactor of the stimulus check, and here's what the government says. Now, use this money to stimulate the economy. And so you you may be getting some money in your account if you haven't already, and you're going to have a choice to make. Let's take a, a, a tremendous vacation, but in light of my present circumstances, you don't have a job. You're late on the bills. You're behind on the mortgage or the rent. Do you, see, do you see the point that I'm trying to make? Yes. Some of you have job insecurity. So if, you're, if you don't know if you're going to be laid off or you're going to have a job next year, please listen to, to the heart of your pastor. Right now is not the wise time to buy that car or to buy that house. Yeah, but I can afford the payments. No, you can't if you get laid off. So you got to look at the present circumstances. Maybe you have a great job. Okay, it is a wonderful job. So now, in light of your present circumstances, remember when you used to could stay up to like 3 or 4 a.m. and then sleep in to like 2 or 3 p.m.? Some of y'all know some people like that. Come on now. But because you got a good job, you got to go to bed on time. You got to get up on time. You got to get to work on time. I hope all of this makes sense. Some of you are nodding. Others of you looking at me like a cow looking at a new gate. And that's cool. That's <laughs> cool but in light of my past experiences and in light of my present circumstances, this is just an evaluation. This isn't overly complicated. It's an assessment to help you make not the right choice, but the wise choice. Are you with me? All right, come on and give Jesus some praise. Let me just see if you're with me. Come on. All right. In light of my past experience, in light of my present circumstance, What's the wise thing to do? Here's the last one. In light of my future, hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing for me to do? Irregardless of your age, we all have hopes and dreams. The only way to achieve that hope and dream is to make wise choices today. Today. I talk to people all the time that desire to retire one day, whatever that looks like, however you define that. I just want to let you in on just a little secret about retirement. You're going to need some kind of money. So what are you doing now? In light of your future hope and dream, what are you doing now? And then this is the rebuttal almost always. Well, I'm in debt. Well, if you want to be debt-free, if that's a future hope and dream, what's the plan? This isn't a message about money, but listen to it for a second. You can wander your way into debt, but you can't wander your way out. You need a plan. So in light of your future hopes and dreams, what's the wisest thing for you to do? I'll talk with young ladies and young men that say, hey, my future hope and dream is to save myself for marriage. So now in light of that future hope and dream, you're making wise choices not to put yourself in any type of temptation so that on your wedding day, you can say, I've saved myself for you. This goes on and on and on. One day I wanna get married. One day I wanna have children. I think about student athletes, and I see a few of you that I have the chance to watch on social media and some of the highlights, and man, you've got incredible talent. If your desire is to play at the next level, you may have the talent to get you there, but how about your academics? How about your behavior? Does that make sense? Because these colleges, there are still expectations. So you can wanna be the next Michael Jordan, but if you don't have the grades, now that future hope and dream will never become a part of your destiny because of the choices that you make. I was in a wedding for a dear friend of mine years and years ago, 20 years ago. Um, he was a senior in his college. He was involved in a practical joke, a prank at the college. And they kicked him out of school. They expelled him from school. Now he recovered from the bad choice, but some of his future hopes and dreams took a different angle or a different lane, if you will, because of the choice. I could stand here all day and go through example and analogy to connect with you. Does that make sense? But I hope you get the point. Every day, you make 35,000 conscious decisions. 35,000, in light of my past experience, in light of my present circumstance, with the desire of my future hopes and dreams, this is core values right here for some of you, what's the wisest thing for me to do? Now, let me give you one more thought and then the closing question and I'll pray for you. Here's what I've learned. The wisest people that I know, they live their life three-dimensionally and they do exactly what we just talked about. They know their past, they know their present, and they know their future hopes and dreams. And when you live your life, not just one dimensionally, but three dimensionally, looking back, looking within and looking ahead, now you begin to make the wisest choices and it sets you up for great success and for great favor. Okay, so here's the closing question, are you ready? You ask this in your heart, these closing questions are a little bit of a homework assignment for you. So here's what you're asking yourself. Are the choices that I make, are they made with wisdom? Another way to say this, do I allow wisdom to decide what I decide?